Hey, this is Jeremy McCrory, and this is the Run for Jesus podcast, a ministry podcast that will help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. All right, my friends, we will be in the book of Exodus, and we will be looking at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 this evening. In Exodus chapter 20, we'll be looking at no other God. And so you know Exodus chapter 20 has a lot to do with the Ten Commandments as we know them. But these were laws that were given to Moses at Sinai. And this is a holy and righteous God. He has holy and righteous standards, and those who love God will constantly try hard, try, give their very best to live according to what he requires. But we are enabled by the Holy Spirit. The one thing I've learned about this passage and many like it in the Bible is that when God speaks, you and I are meant to listen. When God speaks, he doesn't just speak out of nothingness just to say something just sounds good. He speaks to get our attention. And God gets our attention in various ways. And some might even ascertain that, that maybe he doesn't do a burning bush these days. Or maybe he doesn't speak in, you know, in certain other ways today. But I do believe that God can get our attention. And when God is speaking to us, we ought to listen. Throughout life, we all know what it's like to constantly have to repeat ourselves. And it seems like sometimes that no one is listening. I think that most people think about these kind of things, and we can all do that. And I think that many of us still do, will not pay attention. And when you don't pay attention, it, meet, it meets inactivity, meaning it doesn't translate into action. I think for many times this relates to parenthood. And I'm sure, Heavenly Father, God feels the same way when we don't follow His words and listen to the Bible. I'm sure His heart aches when we sin and do not consult His word. There's there's so many times that God is trying to speak to us that we simply don't listen to what He has to say to us. And because we don't listen, action doesn't follow in all of that. But despite this, despite all of this, we know and we believe that God has proven faithful. See, Scripture demonstrates the relationship of God's people and God, especially in the Old Testament. It's kind of a roller coaster of sorts. God's people understand the blessing and faithfulness of God, and so they live bountifully in the land. They are blessed and blessed beyond measure. They grow and prosper. They have the food and the things that they need. Then at some point, they try to interject other gods from other lands and other countries, or they marry into those lands and other people from other countries, and so they abandon God, or either they try to pull this thing that many people do today, and they say, what if I just have the Christian God over here, I have this other over here, I have this other over here, I have this other here. But Scripture forbids that. Scripture forbids that. In other words, there is no other God but our God. 
And the exiles are not left, even though they're disobedient, even though they follow other gods, even though they go in different lands and are exiled in that sense because of their sin, the exile doesn't last because the people cry out to God for what? For restoration, right? Because we know that God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't give up on us and he continues to restore us. God grants them favor once again and then it seemingly doesn't sink in and the roller coaster goes over and over again. God's people find favor with God. They're disobedient. They pull what culture has to give them. They believe in other gods and they go down this road again. See, all of us who read the Bible can presently understand these facts that God is faithful with those who he loves. See, scripture says it like this, that he has an unending love for us. He loves us. Despite of us, in spite of us, God is faithful. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 said, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So what does he tell the people immediately right off the bat? He says, I'm the one who brought you out of bondage and gave you freedom. I am the Lord your God. And he's, he's establishing his authority. He's establishing the fact that he is worthy of following. He's establishing the fact of what he has done in the past. And now he's going to bring this law to the people for the here and now. There is no other God. Don't put any other God before our God. So we begin right off looking at it this way. What's the difference between a command and a suggestion? And I've thought about this time and again. A command and a suggestion. A lot of times we hear that within our society. We think, well, a command is something that we have to do. Whatever a suggestion is something that others think we might need to do. And we have a, a way of talking through that. But, but command or instructions to do or to not do something. To me, a command is authoritative. A command is something that we listen to because of the person who is speaking. It is an imperative that we obey, authoritative there. Suggestion to mention or imply as a possibility. In other words, it's one of those things, it's up to you to do what you want to do. One is very much what God says to do, therefore it's a command. Then there's a suggestion, like I said, it's kind of up to you. I'm going to tell you how to do what you need to do, but you have to make the decision. There's a drastic difference when you look at the two. But there's a command in this passage. The command is to abstain from idol worship. Now, idolatry is defined as this. Trusting, serving, or giving worship to something that is not God. Now, you might go through your mind as part of ego today and say, well... I don't ever do that. Now, primarily, they're talking about these small wooden gods or formed gods that they would worship in their homes or worship according to this group of people or other group of people that would, that would be something they would give to. Maybe it was a god that helped with their crops or helped with the land or helped in certain ways. But they would try to do that. But idolatry for us can be anything that we place in that prominent place in our life that only God should reside. Amen? Because we do that, brother. We put things of prominence in our lives in places that only God should be 
and we try to deal with things and we wonder why everything's so fractured. The communication is fractured. We're not where we ought to be when we're trying to please everything but God. Exodus 20 verses 3 and 4 say this, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or above on earth, beneath or in the water under the earth. So what have we placed in this position of prominence in our lives? Or better yet, what have we placed in a place in our lives that only God should reside? We can think about a number of things. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's sports. Sometimes it's our work. There's a number of things that we can place in those places. So in my research, I saw that there were, there were a bunch of things that we can place in there that only should occupy God and his teachings for our lives. One of the things that we can place in that position of prominence that ought not be there is our identity. How many people look around and find their identity in anything but Christ? They look around and they find their identity in culture. They find their identity in what a people group might believe. They find their identity in so many different smatterings of religions and things in this world. They might find their identity in so many other ways. But our identity shouldn't be in anything other than in Christ. Our identity should be firmed up in the fact that Jesus died for us. And we are to live for him. Our identity comes from who he is in our lives. We don't know who we are until we know who Jesus Christ is. Amen? That's our identity. I am not Jeremy. I am a follower of Christ. My identity is, you know me as Brother Jeremy. My identity is a child of God. That's my identity. The world around us might try to identify you, maybe maybe by the work that you do or something like that. But there's other things, not only our identity that people allow for them to be idols, but money or material things. How have we seen that time and again become something of prominence in people's lives where they do everything they can and work to the bone just to get as much money as they can? How many times do you find those people and they're just so happy? You can have all the money in the world and you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. And it's an idol for many. Pursuit of money and things can become that. What about jobs and status? We begin to say, well, well I want this job or I got this job, so that means I'm worth something. Jesus already defined that and said, your word died for that at your lowest estate and most sinful, I'm sending my best. Jesus came to die for me and for you. So jobs and status, those are things we do. They're not who we are. Those are things that we use as a means to an end, but they're not who we are. They should never take that place of prominence in our lives. Well, I've got to put you know, food on the table and I've got to do all of that, but the Lord our God said, put nothing in the place that I should be in. In your life. What about physical appearance? There's many people that spend most time doing so many things, physical appearance, and they can worship themselves. Entertainment. How can this be something that we put into that place there? And it's it kind of lends itself in this way that many worship services today are centered on entertaining because it's what keeps people engaged. If I entertain them, they'll come back. If I just do this, they'll come back. If I just do that, they'll come back. I've, I've observed other churches, thankfully not my own, that have 
image is gone, so are the people. They don't get rooted in the, the things of the church. So many people are entertained. So that can become something where we say, well, well if the entertainment's not there, then I'm not there. So entertainment can become something that's there. We also see that, that those who, who value sex outside of a marriage and all of these things we see today, sexual preference and all of those, can control many people's lives and can win them in a way of worshiping. Because how many times have you read or seen lately where that's something that's in our news, in our faces, on the pages of the things that we read? It can control people's lives, and for many it has. What about comfort? We like to be comfortable, don't we? How many of us like to be comfortable? We like to be comfortable, don't we? And sometimes the things that stretch us in our faith, we're like, I don't know about that. We like to be comfortable, but we like to be comfortable. So many people think about it like this, and I really think this is it. A life following Christ is what we pursue when comfort becomes an idol, we begin to struggle whenever God calls us to do the difficult things. So comfort, that idol being in our life, keeps us from doing and fulfilling what God's calling us to do. And see, the reality is so many people say, well, I think God's calling me here, but I'm not quite sure about that. And it's because we look at what we can do instead of looking at what only God can do in our lives, Right? We say, well, God, I know you want me to go on this mission trip. I know you want me to go and serve in this place. I know you want me to live more boldly in my job or my occupation. I know you want me to do all these things, but God, I don't know that I can do it. And what you say in those moments is that, that I'm going to say I can't do it. But the reality is what we should be saying is only God, only you can do that. God, I submit myself to that and to you in my life, to difficult things. What about an idol of the phones or technology? How many of us have become so worshipful of our devices? Smartphone addiction. Most phones measure screen time today. If you want a sobering reality of how much time you spend on your phone, go in your settings and look at screen time. It will tell you how many hours, how many minutes, how many seconds that you spend on your device on a daily basis. I go out in public and I'm around and visiting with people and talking to people and I see what I can only imagine is going to be a curtain deck later on. This right here. A lot of times I see that. Sometimes it's in the mirror itself. But anything that becomes more important or takes the place of God becomes an idol. What about family and children? Those things can become an idol too. Anything we put in a manner before God can become an idol, if not prioritized and having our focus on God. And then you have influence or fame that's out there. And that's relative to social media and people do things they would never do instead of remembering their identity on in Christ and what matters most is his view of us. Well, let's look at what Exodus chapter 32 says about idol worship and how it fits in to what we do. So Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus chapter 32, we see this is why, while, while the Moses is up talking 
belonging to God and getting the Ten Commandments, of which we just read there's no other God. Okay, so, so this is where it kind of fits in here. It talks about what the people were doing when they believed that Moses wasn't going to come down, that, that somehow God had abandoned them, which along the way, it seems like the people forgot that a lot of times, didn't they? And sometimes we can forget where God should be in our lives and what we should follow him and remember what he's done and his faithfulness. And so it says in verse 1, it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and make it, made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So they... So the next day they rose early and offered the burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I have commended them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God. O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, then that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought from the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to people. And then he says to him, and this is so important because oftentimes we forget the past. And he says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants who swore, who you swore by yourself, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars in the heavens. And out of all this land I've spoken to you, I'll give to your descendants so they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about which the harm that he was going to do. And he said he would do to his people. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. Tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Now when Joshua heard the sound of the people, they shouted, he said to Moses, this is the sound of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing he hears. So as soon as he came to there, and as soon as he came to the camp, he burned with anger. Now this is the same Moses that stood on the mountain and went before God and said, God, don't take out these people because of their beliefs and because of what they're doing. Don't take them away. But, but then what happens when he sees it for himself? And it says this, 
here. It says, It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. And then he took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it all over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. That's pretty harsh. Then Moses said to Aaron, Why did this, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin on them? Aaron said, Do not let the anger of the Lord burn. You know the people yourself, and they are prone to evil. For they said to me, Let us make a God who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And I said to them, whatever gold they had, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and it came out as a calf. So in a, Aaron is trying to shift blame, isn't he? Aaron's saying, look, they came to me because you were gone, and then they just gave me their jewelry. I stuck their jewelry into the fire, and it came out just like this, right? He's trying to minimize what he was doing in all of this. And he said, you know, you know how they are, basically. Now Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them go out of control to be a derision among their enemies. Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from the gate of the camp and kill every man and his brother, every man and his friend, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing on you. So, this sin was real. This idol worship was real. This worship of anything but God was real. But it still happens today. How many of us can identify the things in our lives which we allow to become an idol? We must understand the Lord will not stand for that. That there will be a day of reckoning. That He will come into our lives and, and show us exactly what we've made of things. We spoke of this this morning. But the question then becomes, okay, if, if I'm like these people and I don't follow God like I ought to and I put things in places they shouldn't be in my life and I worship gods instead of worshiping the one true God and I focus on things that I shouldn't focus on and I believe things I should believe, the question becomes, how can we get those idols out of our lives? How can we place God in a place that only he should reside? Well, you can quickly answer or ask the question of what those idols are by any of these four questions. Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where do I get my joy? And what's always on my mind? Let me share that with you again. Where do I spend my money? I mean, my time. Where do I spend my money? Where do I get my joy and what's always on my mind? A lot of times if we answer those questions, we'll identify what we worship. Which ought to be God Almighty. And then.
And if we understand that modern idol worship is more than just golden calves, what have we placed before God in our lives? How many of us would really be honest to say that there's a lot of things that we've placed before God in our lives? That we've worshipped, whether it's athletics, whether it's our job, whether it's money, whether it's identity, all of these things we place and worship. And if we were honest and took a deep dive into your lives, what would we find? But we also know in this passage where it says, you shall have no other gods before me, we all know and understand that. So if we know that God should become first in our lives, or should come first, what changes need to happen in our lives to make that happen? What should we do in our lives to cut all those things out which ought not be there? How might we bring those to God so that we might overcome those and worship God and God alone? How do we do that? What needs to happen in our lives? And I also think about, you shall have no other gods before me. And I think back to the command and the suggestion definitions, but why do we take that as a suggestion instead of a command? Why don't we take it seriously that there's times that we need to put the phone down, there's times that we need to turn the TV off, there's times that we need to put things aside in this world that we might follow God. And I look at it like this, a lot of times we have job opportunities and options that come available to us. One that might lend more to us spending time with our family and church, one that might lend itself to making more money, but we think about it. What's really the price that we're paying at that time? The thought of it hits our brain, but I think sometimes never reaches our heart, does it? It doesn't reach where it ought to go. Matthew 22, verse 36 says this. Matthew 22, verse 36 identifies what you and I ought to be about. And if God is at the right place in our lives, and I hope that He is in your life, and if we're worshiping Him as the one true God, Him and Him alone, I hope that these things actually take prominence in your life. He says, it's a conversation, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That leaves no room for anything else, right? If we're loving Him with all that we have, all that we are, all that we've ever been, if we're loving Him that way, there's no room to worship anything else. There's no room for any other gods. There's no place that we can put there outside of God and God alone. See, this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. So, so if we have God in His right place and we worship Him and Him alone, then it leads us in a second way that says this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how those things fit together? If God's for God ultimately in our lives, then we are loving Him like we need to. Then God helps us to love our neighbors as we, as we ought to. So if we worship God and God alone, we can love like God in our lives. So the things that get in the way, the things that we put in prominence don't need to be there so that we might love God like we ought to and we might love others like we ought to. And sometimes we can get those out of order, can't we? It says this, on the two commands depend the whole law and the prophets. 
So here on this evening, we have to ask the difficult things. And I think that's important in our lives that we ask the difficult questions. And the difficult questions often come with a sacrifice. Meaning that we have to lay aside every encumbrance, everything that keeps us from worshiping God and God alone. And if God's people can't do it, no one else will in this world. If you and I can't love God like we ought to, if we can't love our neighbor as we ought to, if we can't love our enemy as we ought to, then who else is going to do it outside of God's people? There's so many people that find so many things from groups around the world that fill that void because we haven't presented to them an authentic view of God. So the invitation on this evening is going to be quite simple. If you're willing to lay down your idols and give God your whole heart, this invitation is for you and the altar is open wide. And if you realize that you need Jesus today as Lord and Savior, then I'll be here to pray and to listen with you. And thirdly, if you are sick and tired, how many of you know what sick and tired feels like? If you're sick and tired of the weight of trying to do everything and be everything in this life, and you simply need to come to God for that rest, Scripture reminds us this, that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. The fact of the matter is, you and I were never meant to go at life alone and carry the load we're carrying. I believe Jesus is willing. Are you? Jesus is waiting for us to come and find rest. We've got to place Him at the right place in our lives. We've got to focus and trust in Him. And we've got to ask Him to help us move the things out of our lives that ought not be there. And God will do it because He's done it time and again. God will continue to work in and through our lives if we turn back to Him and we worship Him, He'll do in this land what no one else could do. And He'll do it in your heart and mind if we say, God, You're everything I need. And if I have nothing else in this world and I've got You, I'm rich beyond measure. If I get nothing else in this life but Him, then I have everything I need. So I don't want anything else but God and God. Let's pray, y'all. Father God, we come on this evening. Father, we are so thankful that you never give up on us. Your love, your mercy, and your grace. God, I never do. So Father, I know that you have demonstrated to your people. We read in the book of Exodus how you demonstrated to your people what your expectations were. Father God, but even then, they worship other gods. They made for themselves idols. But Father God, even though there were punishments because of that, consequences because of that, God, when they cried out to you, 
450. Take my
Thank you for listening to the Run for Jesus podcast with Jeremy McCrory. Tune in next time for more relevant sermons and ministry helps to help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. Thank you.